Welcome back to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Little. With me once again, Steve Cook, uh, for a journey down uh, memory lane as we are continuing our SummerSlam retro series here on the podcast. Uh, next up on our list, after we looked at SummerSlam 2013, which featured Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk, Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. Well, next up, we've got SummerSlam 1995, which featured Diesel versus King Mabel, Bret Hart versus Isaac Yakum. And not to be forgotten, Steve, Barry Horowitz versus Skip. Yeah, it was certainly a period of the WWE history. That's a good way to describe it, right? A period <laughs> of WWE history. A period that I can tell you as a fan back in the day when I was I was 11 years old for this show. I was heading into middle school, and it was not a good time to be a wrestling fan heading to middle school. Because you know how kids are. They're looking for reasons to make fun of anybody. And with the, the product, most of the product that WWF is pumping out at this point, uh, was pretty easy to make fun of, as we'll see with uh, some of the ca- casting characters on this show. This was um, an interesting experience, I will say that. Um, we laughed when we decided to choose this one. We were like, all right, what are we going to put in the middle between the three we were going to do? Of course, we had 13, and now we're like, you know, we're going to do 2,000 next. But it's like, all right, we're just going to laugh about this. Let's just do 95 just for, you know, the hell of it. And, well... As soon as I started watching the show, we get like a couple matches in, and I'm thinking, why? And they were like, why can we just keep this as a joke? Uh, because this is this is something. You know what, though? I'm gonna cut in, and it's kind of weird because I look back at the old observers, see what people were thinking. And if you look at the SummerSlam poll results, uh, you're not gonna get the, to guess this one, but the thumbs up got uh, 188 votes. The thumbs down got one vote. Wow. In the middle got 21. Yeah. Really? Yeah, this this was a highly praised show at the time. And I think as we dig into it, I, I will see where there were some things that were not bad, but yeah. also kind of illustrates some of the problems with the WF product at that time. Yes, that, and I will say that. There were, there were good things on the show, but I think it's um, when you go back and watch it, it's for us too, like we're watching it 26 years later, and in hindsight, when you see how long some of these matches go, um, you just think, man, um, th- these probably matches that could have been cut short by about five minutes on a lot of these. But but still, as you said, you did get some good stuff near the top. And, you know, once again, it will probably involve um, two guys in particular that we've uh, said a lot of good things about over the years and uh, could be in the running for Mr. SummerSlam, although Steve is already anointed uh, Mr. SummerSlam, which we'll get to uh, in our, I think it's our seventh match on the card. But it is SummerSlam 95, presented by Stridex, which was all over this show. Um, Todd Pettengill was working this in everywhere. With um, Popular product for wrestling fans <laughs> at the time, yes. He was he was working in it everywhere. Um, I'm trying to remember the video package. He used it on something, said someone was going to wipe out somebody, and I was just like, oh, Todd Pettengill, uh, a true pro here. But uh, this was at Pittsburgh, and Steve, you and I are recording this on the week that AEW is going to be all over Pittsburgh. So That's right. Um, Timely. Yeah, very, uh, very timely. There at the Civic Arena, as we alluded to on our last podcast uh, that we did, SummerSlam 2013, the attendance for this one, 18,062. So a pretty big crowd. And I think. Stacked. Well, look, and I think the crowd was like a very popping for some of the stuff that even I thought was like, how in the world could you do that? But like they were, they were into it. So I'll give them that. And Pittsburgh has a reputation for not being exactly one of your better wrestling crowds. Yeah, they were they were into it, um, and yeah, I, that's one of the things that I have all over my notes here. It's just like they they pop for a lot of the stuff that probably looking back you may think is just 
the dirt worst, but they were into it. So uh, give them credit for that. But we start off with Todd Pettengill. Again, he's all over this thing at this era in WWE. Like he's just, he's everywhere at WWF. Propping up everything, uh, hyping up our big matches. And then uh, we get Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler welcoming us. And then, Steve, it is uh, for his first appearance of the night, first of several. Pittsburgh's own. <laughs> Dean Douglas um, yes. in his classroom, which <laughs> if you just look, of course, he's he's backstage. And they've got his classroom made up, and he's going to be conducting summer school. What a what a brilliant idea. That oh, is. yeah, summer school, summer slam, makes perfect sense. And uh, wow, you know, this is quite the, uh, quite the turn for Dean Douglas, who... And up, up to this point, been in Extreme Championship Wrestling. Uh, after a, a tumultuous early career, kind of found his footing in ECW as the franchise, Shane Douglas. And he gets that uh, big contract with WWF. And here he is. Um, he was he was a trained, licensed to be a teacher. So it was a character that was not far from, you know, it wasn't, wasn't something weird for him. But it was a complete contrast to what he had been doing and what had been working East W. And, well, he, he tried. <laughs> I'll, I'll say he tried. He, he did what he could. Uh, here. And he made the first, I believe he made, he made, he kept making reference to Mr. McMahon as well. So yes, there's did. also that. Well, he, he played the role of a 411 Mania reviewer on the show as he was uh, grading the matches, and um, <laughs> he was uh, doing that, and uh, that was pretty much his role on the show, and we'll get to him as we go along. But No star ratings, unfortunately. No, he didn't have any star ratings. You know, we've yet to have a character. We had, I don't recall a major promotion having a character give out star ratings yet. I think that might be... You know, you think Bruce Pritchard would have put something like that in one of his shows as a rip on somebody. You know, that, that'd be right, right Bruce's alley to, you know, kind of rip Dave Meltzer on the sly, if you know what I mean. You'll have someone with a uh, with a little billboard in the front row saying uh, six stars in Japan or something yeah. like that. That's um, That'd be well, the go-to. You know what? That's a, actually a good idea. They should actually do that. Well, you, Steve just handed out free creative to anyone listening. So um, if you're a professional wrecking, wrestling booker out there, there you go. Uh, get someone that just sits around grading matches. And we'll see how it works and if it's any better than uh, Dean Douglas here, who, uh, again, a very prominent figure on this show. But we started. He tried. He, he tried. He did the best he could. We started the show off with, honestly, Steve, what I thought was probably one of the better things on the show. The 1-2-3 Kid versus Hakushi. Um, and uh, I did note here, though, that... You know, building up this match is, you know, when they come out and everything and they're really hyping up this match, one of the things that they replay is Barry Horowitz pinning Hakushi. And um, I was thinking, well, that's a that's a hell of a way to build up a guy heading into a match is uh, getting getting pinned by Barry Horowitz. But that was not ideal. And at one point, Vince gets so excited in this match that he calls it Summer Slime. And I just, I couldn't get over that. Um, Vince just, he's just losing it. He's so excited. And he's just like, Summer Slime. And Jit Lawler's calling him out on it and all this other stuff. Um, this I thought this was a solid match. Like, again, these two guys worked hard. I know the Hakushi character was one where, look, it's WWE's handling of um, a foreign character, as we know. Not always the best track record with that. Um, you know, Lawler explaining the tattoos and, and all this other stuff. But I thought this was solid for both of these two, you know, looking at, at just how it played out. These are two guys that probably felt like they were a little ahead of their time at this point. Um, and I thought they worked a, a pretty solid match here. Yeah, I mean, it's the traditional way that we became accustomed to of, uh, you know, smaller guys opening a show at a quick pace and getting people excited and whatnot. 
And certainly two guys good. That would be one, two, three, Kid and Hakushi. And unfortunately, although I, the match is good, don't get me wrong, it's good stuff. Unfortunately, uh, both these guys kind of on the way down the card. We saw Hakushi losing to Barry Horowitz. <laughs> then he beats a one, two, three kid. So I'm just sitting here like, okay, why am I supposed to care? And that's not a good thing. You know, I, I know that these days we're, we're taught that wins and losses don't matter. I'm just telling you, you're sitting here trying to sell me on a guy who just lost to Barry Horowitz earlier that morning. I don't know. It, it didn't didn't really jive. Although, again, good wrestling. It's just kind of tough for the tough for people to care. Yeah, there's not much you can get into here, and it won't be the last we see of Hakushi on the evening um, based on uh, some events we have and coming Yeah, up. you also had, and there's also the fact that uh, Hakushi was making the transition from, from a heel, and then 1-2-3-Kid would be making a transition from his babyface status, so they're both yeah. kind of... They're kind of switching sides. They're on their way of doing that. So neither guy's really as over as you would hope. Yeah, you get a good match out of it, but there's not, like you said, not a whole lot to really sink your teeth into uh, with this one just based on, um, like you said, with the direction that these two are headed in. But I, I thought this was, you know, one of the, the better matches on the show just based on, you know, just how these guys work together and uh, Vince McMahon, the commentary tropes just the, throughout this whole show. He's just doing his one, two. He Vince got was definitely no, he his, Vince was his peak uh, commentary events on the show. That's for sure. He was, uh, he was on one. He was on it, and it's just like every time, you know, you, you're getting the two count, one, two. Oh, it's over. He's got it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't get it. It's just like that. Just Vince, Vince, Vince went to that one a lot, and uh, we saw that a lot in this match. But nice opener, uh, Hakushi and uh, one, two, three kid. Hakushi getting the win here in this one to, uh, I guess, avenge his loss to Perry Horowitz. Um, although, again, we'll have some more Hakushi coming up here in a minute. Uh, then we get a promo backstage. Doc Hendricks, who was, you talk about another yes. guy just on it. Like, he's just, he is jacked up with this. <laughs> like, he is jacked up for King Mabel. And uh, Mabel cuts the promo here, calling Diesel a bunch of different names, uh, Big Daddy Fool and all this other stuff, and uh, hints at, uh, you know, having something in store for the main event. So uh, the, the royal surprises. And we have to note that uh, King Mabel used the old phrase, uh, Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you, which is not quite how that goes. I don't think that's right. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> fool me once, uh, we're fooled. Fool me, you can't get fooled again. It's, you know, very similar to that. Well, the whole King Mabel thing. <laughs> you, you talk about a pay-per-view. <sighs> if, we, if you think this, which again, I, once we get through it, I don't think this is probably as bad as maybe it looks on paper, but like King of the Ring 95, that one's as bad as it looks on paper. And then some, um, you know, and that's not, necessarily just because Mabel won it's just that entire tournament was a mess and remember we're only basically what uh two months removed from that here so yeah King, King Mabel has all the momentum at this point and uh two other guys who probably don't have a lot of momentum but uh I put man it's pretty wild to think of how quickly the character directions would change for these next two Hunter Hurst Helmsley versus um Bob Holly here I mean again you think about this this is 95 what five years later Helmsley's at the top of everything. Holly's the you know main guy in the hardcore division, all this other stuff. But, of course, they both changed, too, pretty quickly over the next couple of years at that point. Um, but uh, I, I'll tell you, Steve, I, I went into this match thinking, all right, Hunter Hill, Helmsley, Triple H, Bob Holly, this could be good. But I just thought that this was – I thought this was kind of a mess. I mean, they, they, they delivered some stiff shots. I'll say that. It looked like uh, – I don't know. Helmsley got pissed off at Holly or something earlier because it's just – Holly hit him with a absolutely brutal elbow right to his face. 
Um, and, you know, Vince is making car jokes the whole way because, of course, right? Uh, but I, this was okay, but again, I don't know what I expected from a 1995 match between Triple H and Bob Holly, but I just thought that this was sort of a little bit all over the place. And I, I will say these two, these two kind of beat the shit out of each other because um, Holly did not not back down from laying anything in here as he did pretty much his entire career. Well, that's one of the things we talked about how 1995 was a strange time period for WWE. And you have two solid wrestlers here. I believe this is Triple H's uh, very first pay-per-view appearance for WWF. If not, if not, I think this was the first one. So good way to debut there on pay-per-view. Uh, you got the Aristocrat going against a race car driver. Uh, that's one of the main problems here. Although, I mean, on paper, you know, you think that's two uh, different, two different characters there, uh, two very different styles going on there. But another thing that kind of uh, stands out to me, that stands out in the future as well, Bob Holly was never really the best guy at putting people over. Like he just, he wasn't that guy. Like he was always going to give you a fight. I mean, you know, getting him to do a job is like pulling teeth, let's be honest. The guy just, he was not Barry Horowitz with a Brooklyn brawler or one of those guys that goes out of the way and make their opponent look good. Uh, Bob Holly, was, that was never his game. And it wasn't his game here either. As you notice, uh, when Triple H hits the pedigree at the end, one of the more awkward looking pedigrees of all time, Holly, uh, he didn't look like he wanted to do it. No, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't giving him a whole lot on that one. He probably saw Triple H use that move on a couple of jobbers like, whoa, you know? Like the one where the guy got spiked on his head, yeah, he's, he's that he probably saw it. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I got I got a race car to drive. I can't be flattening my face here on the map. <laughs> no, so. I'm taking it as shitty as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just not you know, Triple H got a win, which is nice, but it didn't do a lot a whole lot for him. No, this was um again, like we said, it's it's hindsight, and you're looking back at this thinking, okay, well maybe this could be good based on what we saw after this, but. I just thought this was um, this was kind of there, and I just I didn't think the chemistry was necessarily there between these two at this point in their careers. Um, I assume they probably worked together a bit uh, down the road. I'm, not, I'm thinking now that Triple H and Hardcore Holly ever. I'm trying. I don't think they would have had too many interactions actually. I mean, Triple H was usually on the tippy top, and Bob was usually working further down the card, entertaining yeah. stuff. But he usually he usually was not in that main event scene. There might have been a reason for that. <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna have to look. You remember that, up. that SummerSlam match? Yeah, you remember that? Hang on, you remember uh, that? Uh, yeah, we ain't working that guy again. <laughs> no, there is the early in the match. If you go back and watch this, which uh, I, I think you know, you you can go back and watch. Just pick your spots based on what we talk about. But there is a point early on where Holly just I think I don't remember what the setup is, but I mean he just hits an elbow that just absolutely clocks Triple H right in the face, and um, I just I had to note that I was like, well, that was a brutal. Um, so yeah, that was your. Your hardcore Holly wasn't going to uh, hold anything back on this, and he didn't hear, but it was Triple H. And one more thing I will add. The Hunter Hearst Helmsley character, not that bad. No, it wasn't Not terrible. that bad. I think he got, he got a lot of crap for it later on. I mean, you know, because in comparison to the Triple H we know of today and the DX and all that stuff, is a is a 180 from all that. But at the same time, I, it was a pretty solid character, and I thought he did a good job with it. Compared to some of the other characters we're going to talk about on the show, I didn't think it was bad at all. Um, in comparison, mm-hmm. I thought it was actually not bad. So then we go, Steve, to our favorite thing here, the tug-of-war contest between the <laughs> WWF superstars and the Pittsburgh firefighters. It was the yeah. WWF getting the win here. I don't know if you recall that, but uh, their strength uh, in the end was too much. Yeah, it was uh, similar to how the WWF came on, on top over the WBF in that famous tug-of-war. 
Yes. And other famous tug of wars they held uh, over the years with the uh, with the Pittsburgh Fire Department. You think that was a uh, shoot tug of war? Or you think it was it was a work? Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's all you need to know. Oh my, the tug of war contest! I remember those. Like I remember some. I don't remember this one, but. I remember them doing some of those. They um, did some. They did some here and there. I don't really remember this one too much. I'm sure. I'm sure it's sold out though. Yeah, I want to say '93 to '95 was prime WWF tug of war era. Lots of tug of wars going on in that time period, yeah. and they, they they all sold out. They were hanging from the rafters. They were everywhere. So uh, there's another highlight: the tug of war contest. Um, I don't know if that. I don't know if that got a star rating anywhere. But if we had a character, they gave out. If Dean Douglas gave out star ratings, he could have could have rated that one. But this next one, I don't think got too many uh, high star ratings either. The Blue Brothers with uh, yeah. Uncle Zebekiah, uh, which, of course, uh, Zeb Coulter. The Smoking Guns. How about this? The Smoking Guns and the Blue Brothers, which we know, like, these two would go on to be pretty regular teams here when you think about it. Of course, the Blue Brothers are the Harris Brothers, um, who went on to, I mean, I think, you know, have Any a match, have a match yes. and have gimmick in literally every promotion in the world. But this was another one. Like, here's the theme thus far. Like, Hakushi and the one two three kid went like nine and a half minutes. Triple H and Bob Holly went about, I think, seven or eight minutes. This one goes about six, and it's. I thought that was okay because I will say this: I this match was pretty much just, you know, it's your usual tag team match where the heels work over, um, you know, one guy in particular where Billy's getting worked over. Eventually, makes the hot tag. Uh, to Bart, and that leads to the guns getting the win, like I said, in about six minutes. Uh, but the crowd loved them some guns here. Like, they popped when they got the win. So this was another one of those matches that was just kind of there, but the crowd, once once you got the good guys winning, the, they were all for it. So Yeah, it, it served its purpose. Uh, one interesting thing, uh, watching the uh, watching the show here on Peacock, is kind of, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but the smoking guns entrance, I don't know if you know, it's all chopped up. Like the, they they walk out, and all of a sudden they're in the ring, and the music's playing. It's not matching anything. And oh I can yes. Only, I yeah. can only assume it's because the smoking guns Billy and Bart used to come out with uh, with guns that fired blanks. They'd fire oh, the blanks off, wow. and people that would is pop true. and whatnot. So yes, obviously Peacock not big on the gunplay. Wow. Even if it's even if it's blanks, they're not going for it. So there there you have it. So if you're watching smoking gun matches on the Peacock, you There'll probably be more instances like that, I would say, unless they just did on this show and forgot the other ones. But we, may, we may have to report something that something interesting one. there. Let's say we, we need to we need to put a story on that. Like that's uh that's I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Like I bet that was it. Yep, that's an exclusive. I yeah, that's an exclusive. <laughs> you, you can credit me with that one, Dave. That's that's an exclusive story. We're gonna we're gonna write that up. Credit Steve Cook uh, on the four one one on wrestling podcast. So the match was there. It was it was okay. Smoking guns were a. a Perfectly fine tag team, and the Blue Brothers was one of the better Ron and Don Harris uh, gimmicks. I thought because it's one, another one of these gimmicks that's not too far from home. The first thing I always think about when I think of the Blue Brothers is that they were in the 1995 Royal Rumble, and I remember thinking, "Why are they in the Rumble?" Because I just like that to me as always goes back. It's like one of those weakest Royal Rumble. That was everybody on the roster. I was gonna Rumble. say like I think that's still probably the weakest Royal Rumble of all time just in terms of the roster it was just and that's like that's the first thing i think of i'm like the brew brothers oh yeah i remember both of them were in the royal rumble and i was like i don't think they're winning this i thought you were gonna say you're expecting the blues brothers to come out <laughs> well, and then you're disappointed when john goodman and dan Aykroyd didn't come out there well i mean hey maybe, I don't, did they eventually do that i don't know WWE surely brought them in at some point 
I don't think there was that interaction with the Blue Brothers and the Blues Brothers, but it would have been it would it was sold out. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was this was a match. Um, the, the smoking guns get the win. Pittsburgh loved it, so give them credit. Uh, they enjoyed that. So, oh boy. Uh, well, uh, surprisingly, like they enjoyed this too. What's about to come up? Even though I did not, I will tell you straight up. We get a good video package. Todd Pettengill again narrating the video package of Barry Horowitz's losing streak coming to an end as he got the better of Skip on multiple occasions. Um, so we get the rematch here with Skip with Sonny taking on Barry Horowitz um, in a match that could main event anywhere in the world. Um, one of the things I put right here, Barry Horowitz's interest music, it was something. And so was his gear. Like this guy, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I guess there's a reason why he had a losing streak because his interest music, his gear, like this was sort of that like create a wrestler on a video game type thing where it's just take the most generic stuff you can find and, well, the entrance music itself was, and, I, and fortunately, it's got listening in the in the observers. I was wondering what the name was called Havin the Gala. Okay, I so he actually said used... that wrong. It's, it is a Jewish dancing song they came out to, which uh, I don't know. That's a little too on the nose for me, but whatever. I mean, <laughs> had a Jewish guy come out to Havin the Gala. I don't know. <laughs> see, may, maybe I was just like, I see now, now that I think of it, I'm like, okay, it sounded like the actual song, but I thought they were doing like a knockoff of it. Is the way it oh, sounded. Oh, sure, it was to a me. knockoff. Yeah, yeah that's know. what. So I don't know, but anyway, you slice it. This was suspenders. I don't. I don't have a good explanation for suspenders. Didn't really. Didn't really tell you about that one. And they were like sparkly, weren't they? Like they had like. Yes, they were very sparkly. Sparkles going to him. So he just got off. He just got off from his job at Chippendales earlier in the day, working the day shift on Sunday. You know, gotta do what you gotta do. Listen, the crowd. uh, The crowd's chanting Barry throughout this match. Like they're just, they're all for this guy. So give them credit. I mean, that's a thing. And Barry Horowitz was one of those. We we've talked before. I don't know if I talked about it with you. We've talked before with other folks about how uh, one of the things that's missing today, although maybe you see a lot of it on AEW Dark these days, you don't have your you know your well known jobbers anymore. Although <laughs> it's kind of, although it's at the of, NXT roster it, now, or well, it kind, of, it kind of leads into a point I'm going to make with this match as well. Is that you know, the whole Barry Horowitz push? It was fun. I liked it because I was familiar with seeing Horowitz on TV all the time. I thought it was fun that he got a little win and had got a little shine there for a few minutes. And, and it got he didn't, didn't get a huge push or anything, but he got he got a nice little push. He even won a few matches later on, so it was fun. But you know, it, it's one of those things that kind of have has its limits. Like you're not going to make a character like Barry Horowitz a world champion or an Intercontinental champion or anything like that. And the thing that stands out to me now is that. You know, a Bay face that's, you know, happy to be there, lucky get a win. It feels like most of the Bay faces are pushed that way now. Yeah. I mean, Nikki Ash being the most obvious example right now, like she's basically pushed like the female version of Barry, Hor- Barry Horowitz. Yeah. That's and a good she's point. happy to be there. She's lucky she can beat Charlotte Flair. I mean, it's nice. It's a fun character. But, uh, you know, Barry Horowitz didn't win their old, old title. And Nikki Ash is, let's be honest, that title run of hers isn't looking too great right now so i mean i don't know the thing too that stood out to me is like i just like you just see chris candido in this skip gimmick and i just think back i'm like you know we know what this guy was capable of and it's just like this this whole skip stuff but sunny i mean look sunny it was a little bit different at this era in 95 <laughs> for sunny um there's another one, hindsight. I think I know where you're getting on that. <laughs> it's uh, if only you knew what was to come, I guess, in that scenario. But uh, yeah, this was like this was sort of that point where you're just like, 
the characters like we talked about like it's just all these different characters like at this point in 95 or really as we know i mean this was you know the new generation every all these different characters where they had through 94 95 um until they eventually make the switch which by the way this is uh, this is the last pay-per-view before they actually start the um you know the monday night wars officially begin because nitro doesn't come along long or doesn't uh, come in long after this like it's pretty soon after this so this is the last pay-per-view of the actual um you know wwe solo uh, before the uh the monday night war so it just we know a lot of things change but i just i look at all these characters and i'm just thinking man what a different time it was at this point and speaking of time <laughs> this match goes almost 12 minutes and i told you before we started recording like i thought it was 20 plus I mean, again, I will give Pittsburgh credit. Like, they ate this up. Like, they were into it at the end. They they love Barry Horowitz, so uh, give them that. So, yeah, yeah, and I thought I thought it was a fine... I thought... I think I liked the match better than you did, because I, was, I remember the Horowitz stuff from TV, and I, you know, I remember him, him as the jobber from back day, so I got a good feeling out of that, and, uh, you know, the, the skip gimmick was god-awful, but Candido <laughs> still is working. It's still Chris Candido out there wrestling. Right. So you put him out there, and Horowitz, it, it was good at selling for him, like he's good for selling for everybody. So it was a good combination in there. And I, the, the finish is kind of goofy with Hakushi coming down. So, you know, they had the, even the score from earlier that day where Skip cost Hakushi to win. So it's kind of weird. But, again, I thought it was kind of cool where he, he, he jumps over both guys in order so he doesn't cause disqualification, and he manages to, to uh, distract Skip. And then Horowitz rolls him up for a win. I thought it was clever. It was a unique finish. Like, I don't know that I've seen one like that before. Yeah. He was smart enough not to get the guy disqualified, so he just does not create the distraction. And a different kind of distraction, too. Not not like the music playing or what we see these days. But So I I thought it was perfectly fine stuff. The the crowd loved it, and I felt a little nostalgic. And, <laughs> you know, I, I've liked it better than you. But uh, much like you, Dean Douglas was not, not, was not impressed. Dean Douglas did not like that at all. <laughs> me and me and Dean were on the same wavelength here. I I, I mean, look, I thought Sonny was fine at this point too. Like I thought, yeah, she... Sonny was fine. That's right. Yes. Well, <laughs> Sonny was Sonny was fine yeah. in her role um, as well at this point. Uh, I thought she she played up her role nicely in in this type of match. So uh, I I didn't hate it. I just thought it was long. That's that's all. Uh, Dean Douglas agreed with me. He was not uh, a fan, and then he went to his word of the day, Steve, which uh, was Vivify. Yes, Vivify was uh, his word, and uh, he showed. We saw highlights of the match on the the old school TVs at that point. Uh, he gives it an F grade, so he doesn't do the star <laughs> rating. I assume that'd be a dud, um, but uh, he gives it an F. And See, the, what was the Meltzer rating here? The Meltzer rating was he gave it three stars. Wow, really? So, yeah, that surprises that, I, me. Yeah, and I'm I'm in the same I'm in that hmm. similar boat. So yeah, I don't know. Well, you know we. We can disagree on things around here. No, okay. that's I'm I'm surprised I by like, that. I like I like Barry Horowitz and Sonny more than you do. It's all right. Well, that's hey, I I give credit where it's due. So <laughs> I I tried to give some. I thought the finish was unique. I just thought at twelve minutes it was it was a little long. Um, well, I mean, the, we'll we'll be getting to some other long stuff later on too. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, so Dean Douglas F across the board here for that match. Um, so keeps talking about Mister McMahon too. Yes, he's just Mr. McMahon. He's just Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon. Uh, Todd Pettengill with Shawn Michaels. And yeah. And this was 1995 Shawn Michaels right here. Uh, as uh, he pretty much says that he has everything to lose, 
nothing to gain from his match with Razor Ramon, which we're going to talk about coming up, the latter match. Uh, and uh, this was just sort of your traditional Shawn Michaels promo uh, at this point, which led us into our women's championship match, which uh, Bertha Faye with Ugh. Harvey. <laughs> we already know Steve's thoughts on this one. Uh, <laughs> Bertha Faye with Harvey Whippleman versus Alundra Blaze. This is for the WWF women's title. And as if you had any doubt at this era, early on we get uh, lots of weight jokes from Vince and Lawler. No surprise, mm-hmm. given that duo, there's, that's no surprise. We, again, we talk about how times have changed, right? Like it's just things have changed so much in terms of what you probably look at in a women's match in the WWF, WWE. I thought they, listen, I thought they worked hard, but I, I don't know that it was completely there. Uh, it was a WWF women's match in 1995, and this was one where, like, well, I think this went, like, four, three minutes, four minutes, something like that. It wasn't very long, um, so maybe I, I gave it a little bump for that. Uh, but it was actually Bertha Faye getting the win, winning the title. I thought the finish, I don't remember anything about this. Remember, we're, I really don't remember a lot about this show in general, but... When I watched it, I'm thinking, was that what happened there? Because Alundra Blake, like, she kicks out at three, and I'm thinking, was that a screw-up or was that a title? But it like, it sort of leaves you with a deflated feeling of, did she, like, she wins, but Alundra kicks out, like, it felt like she kicked out before three, but, the, you know, the referee continues counting. And it's just like, I don't know. So the finish was... There's a bad powerbomb, too. I mean, she yeah. tried to sit out powerbomb that didn't really... Uh... Didn't go too well, and Alundra kicks out, and it, it it wasn't very good, and the match wasn't very good. And Bertha Faye, I'll tell you what, the woman in Japan, the monster Ripa, Ronda Sings, she was a badass, and people could buy a badass against Alundra Blaze, like they did with Bull Nakano, and uh, you know Ronda Sings could have done the same thing. But instead, we had uh, Bertha Faye playing the uh, character that uh, our friend Dewdrop is currently playing WWE. <laughs> and unfortunately, she's got Harvey Whippleman with her instead of Eva, Eva Marie. So it's not even that good. <laughs> like, this was Vince's thing, though, right? At this time. I mean, like, he's still. I mean, look, right? Like, look who's on top. Like, it's the monsters. Like, it's you Diesel. You got to tell jokes. <laughs> you know? Vince is telling jokes. Joke. He's got Diesel, Mabel. The monsters are on top. Yeah. Like, Bertha Faye. Like, it's just. Well, we're heading back there, aren't we? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, maybe this, this might be good news for Dewdrop here in a few weeks. Maybe she'll beat uh, Nikki A.S.H. for the title. I don't know. Yeah, Vince. Another thing I'm not sure about is Jim Ross coming down at the, after the match to <laughs> interview Bertha Faye. And I guess he touched Bertha, and Harvey was uh, outraged by that. And I couldn't help but notice that the Jarrah had an interesting uh, suit going on here. He had the black suit, of course. He's got, like, this multicolored vest underneath. He's got the multicolored bow tie. And I kind of noticed that the vest and bow tie kind of match Bertha Faye's outfit. So I'm not sure if there's something going on there or not. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Harvey was right to be suspicious. I don't know. Steve Cook, say. once again, getting to the bottom of the story. Somebody's got that. Next time Jared does one of his Ask a JR Anything podcast, you guys can ask him. And look, what, what are we? We're probably, was this, this was August. I mean, we're what, four months away from uh, Medusa leaving to go to WCW. So, I mean. Yeah, she was on her way out anyway. She, you know, I think she actually and won Unfortunately, the well, they, yeah, they made the mistake of giving her the title back. Right. I was going to say, she won it back not long after this. So, they actually probably, you know. They probably should have rethought that one, yeah. <laughs> In hindsight, that's another one where if you had that decision back, uh, you would probably take it based on what actually happened. So, uh, yes, this uh, I was joking earlier. I'm not saying I love this match by any means, but um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep hating on Skip and Barry Horowitz. But um, this was yeah, it wasn't great. So 
now we get the video package for uh, the Undertaker's feud with Kama. Um, and I think actually Pettengill may have got in a Stridex line here, uh, which how you do that heading into a casket match, <laughs> I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure wow, he made that's it work. About seriously, you know, a pretty heavy deal here with the, with the Kama melting down the urn into a necklace, which, uh, oh, good, very, very good piece of business there. But uh, 95 was not one of Undertaker's banner years, let's be honest. Facing various miscreants uh, managed by Ted DiBiase and all these shows and, you know, just... Well, I mean, after this, yeah. he goes into Mabel, right? Like, isn't that the... I want to say that was probably... Yeah, the, yeah, then Mabel crushes his face with a leg drop, yeah. So that was the thing that happened, too. But, uh, you know, not to... But I'm sure you liked working Kama here. I know the Undertaker and Kama are good friends in real life and whatnot. So, you, And they both kind of had their working boots on. And they, they tried some stuff. I do think uh, as one of those matches, it went a little too long. Yeah. It's like they only, it's like they tried to do too much, quite quite honestly. I mean, you even had Paul Bear out there knocking down a referee, which I was amazed by that. Like, what? <laughs> Paul Bear doing something physical is not something I expected to see. But uh, sure enough, we saw that. And uh, yeah, eventually Undertaker wins because, uh, for God's sakes, it's Undertaker and Common in a casket match. We expect. Yeah, this one went almost 17 minutes. And that, that there's was. No, yeah, there's no reason for those guys to go no, 17 minutes. Not, not at all. Um, just remember, in hindsight or in comparison, this goes double the main events that we'll get to. It's tough to, it's tough to time things on a show like this, too, because there are a couple matches that give you some time, and then there are a lot of matches that you don't want to give any time to. Yeah, this is this is this was another one. Like it was just it just felt long. And and as I said, it's probably watching now, feeling like the pacing at times is much better, obviously, than it used to be uh, in some of these scenarios. And I think you just look back at some of these matches twenty five plus years later, and you're thinking, wow, if that went seventeen minutes today, I, I can only imagine what the the crowd would be doing. <laughs> you know? So, um, but but Pittsburgh, they could have gone they could have gone longer with the tug of war, I think. Kayfabe was in full effect here. Pittsburgh loved it. So um, yeah. they they were fine with it. And as you said, as if there was going to be any doubt, uh, it was the Undertaker getting the win. I, I did like the... I didn't, um, I didn't notice. Did they, get, did they get the necklace back? I did not notice whether Paul Bear was able to, to obtain the necklace or not. Because I know eventually they got they got an urn back eventually, obviously. Well, Paul Bear, like you said, he had his working boots on here. He's, he's going after referees. And um, he was <laughs> he was there to work that night in yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, he was. Uh, but uh, I did think the the, the old uh, the coffin cam that was uh, that was an that interesting... was good. I like the coffin cam. Some some good technology there from WWF. The old the old coffin cam. And I like the comma character. Like again, if you look at this in like '95, like you're thinking this year itself, and you're just oof, like there's just not a lot. But like I could I could dig the comma character. Like I thought it was just one of those sort of simple, straightforward, badass type characters that uh, I don't know that they did him a whole lot of favors from a booking standpoint, but. I was fine with Kama. Maybe it wasn't the Godfather, but I, I was okay with Kama or Papa Shango. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you'd rank those, but yeah, it's tough to rank the God of the uh, characters of Charles Wright because, especially Papa Shango is one of those characters that's uh, really cool on paper, but then in execution it doesn't go so well, honestly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and today, if you still uh, today, if you go back and watch that stuff, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. So, I don't know. Unfortunately, Godfather. Godfather was a great character too, but uh, that's another one that wouldn't go well today. Uh, yeah. Papa Shango actually probably would. Papa Shango would be right up their alley today. Actually, WWE would be all about some Papa Shango. I was gonna say, I think actually, like Kama or Papa, Sh- like one of those two would do really well today. And yeah. um, I think 
May Alexis can set somebody's feet on fire next week. We'll see. <laughs> if they, if they, what if they just? I think that would immediately help this whole deal. Is just bring back Papa Shango and pair him with Alexa Bliss. Maybe and... that's what Elias is doing. Maybe Elias could be the next Papa Shango. Wow. Once again, How about that, handing out creative gold here on Four One One on Wrestling <laughs> Podcast. Um, speaking of creative gold, uh, Isaac Acom. Oh. He, he's he in our next match uh, against Mr. SummerSlam, who Steve is annoyed yes. with, and, and I agree with him. Uh, Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum. And once again, you want to talk about <laughs> characters, right? Like, it's all about the characters here, uh, where you've got Isaac Yankum, who is this dentist, this evil dentist, going up against Bret Hart, who is a professional wrestler, right? So yes. um, it's just... It's so different, and it's so yeah. What a what a time this was. A couple things uh, I noticed when Brett Carmay came out here, he did not have his jacket. And I was trying to remember was this was this the, the, I know it's close. Had John Pierre Lafitte already stolen Brett's jacket by this point? I know this was kind of in that range, but because <laughs> Brett, oh, speaking of another guy who had a great 1995, Brett, poor Brett, he just he was given a lot of interesting things to in 1995. Wow. I mean, between Isaac Yankum and. Uh, the, the Jerry Lawler stuff. Kiss and My Feet matches. And... The Kiss My Feet matches and Jean-Pierre Lafitte. And, uh, yeah, Kiss and Feet and Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Just not not Brett's best year, but he tried. He tried all he could here as well. But uh, Isaac Yankin, man, I'll tell you, we know who Isaac Yankin becomes later on. Becomes a big red machine cane and, you know, eventually becomes one of WWE's top guys. But he wasn't ready in 1995, folks. I mean... He wasn't quite there yet. He kind of, you could see he had kind of a physical presence. He, you could see where he could get there someday. He was not there at this point, so that made this a very rough watch. Brett was trying as hard as he could to get something out of this guy. It just wasn't happening. And the other thing I will point out is that, given that this took place in Pittsburgh, I have to wonder if a young Dr. Britt Baker uh, showed up here at the Civic Arena, <laughs> saw this match between Bret Hart and Isaac Yankum, and thought to herself, you know what? I want to do both these things. Maybe she did. She would have been four years old in '95. So she thought she was. She saw, she saw Isaac Yank and the wrestling dentist, and she thought, "Hmm, hmm, that could be good. That could be something." You need to get to the bottom of that one. I think that's another story that hasn't been broken yet. Um, well, well, Brett Baker's doing a ton of interviews in the Pittsburgh market. I know does. that. So, so <laughs> if you Pittsburgh media folks are listening, yeah, uh, go. There's a little something for you. Ask her about uh, Isaac Yank. <laughs> 21 interviews in two days, according to Britt Baker on her uh, on her Twitter account. So, um, yeah, maybe. It's one of them with Mark Madden, because Mark Madden would probably ask something like that. I assume Mark Madden's got some of those interviews, I would think. Um, but I would I would have loved to hear which, Mark Madden which call. If, if he does, I feel sorry for the girl, because, well, oh, God. I think it would be interesting to hear Mark Madden call this match um, with Isaac Yankum <laughs> and Bret Hart. Uh, this was, I mean, we talk about time, right? Like, this one also goes, like, close to 17 minutes. And... It ends in a disqualification, which that right there. <laughs> That's right. Brett can't get the win clean over Isaac Yankum. Uh, we have to, we have to save this guy. <laughs> well, a, some things change. Some things don't change. Uh, there's, there's one of them. Yeah, this, uh, this was like I thought it was fine. Don't get me wrong. Like I thought this was uh, probably one of the better things on the show. Uh, I'm not, you know, I don't want to say that. Again, in comparison to the others, uh, it was it was good, but I think a lot of that has to do with with Bret Hart, right? Because like you said, yeah, it was Bret Hart. You know, he tried. Glenn Jacobs was not there yet at this point, and certainly when you're saddled with an, an evil dentist gimmick, there's only so much you can do here. 
but yeah, Jerry Lawler out there to uh, lend a hand, if you will, some inter- some uh, interference and whatnot. And they they do the gimmick where they tie his, they they do the hangman gimmick on the ropes, and that ends up in disqualification. And yet all the officials run down to break things up. And oh, meanwhile the Pittsburgh fans uh, were chanting for the Steelers. Well, and the thing <laughs> is, I don't even know if this would be the worst gimmick Kane would ever have. So. Um, since he was the fake diesel. Uh, I mean, I would argue that's worse than this. I thought you were going to say something about the Christmas creature. Well, listen, uh, I heard that did well. So, um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, The the fake diesel, uh, yeah, that's also, that's another one. So, uh, I don't know. But but as we found out later, somebody could make the wrestling dentist thing work. Yes, they could. So, uh, props to to Britt Baker for doing that. Um, But that, you know, Solid match, but again, if you're going to spend 17 minutes watching it to a DQ, probably not my cup of tea. Which led us into, I think, what was, you know, certainly the easy, easily the best thing on this show uh, by far. That was the ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon. Um, of course, they had had the, had the ladder match at WrestleMania 10, and, you know, we build it up again to this match here. And, I mean, look, this is just, uh, this was excellent. Um, you know, I know a lot of people always try to just compare the two matches, but I think just in and of itself, if you're just looking at this match, we, we talk about it, such a contrast of everything else you see on this show. Like this was that contrast where it's like, it's a different, co- it feels like a different company. When you watch this match right here, you watch everything yeah. else. It's just, it's completely different. And so, and maybe it was a good thing that they held this to this point in the show, because it's like, if you look at everything before and then what's about to come after it. I mean, it's, there's there's just no comparison between this and everything else. Well, and as you'll recall, heading into SummerSlam, the originally scheduled Aaron Kennel title match was between Shawn Michaels and Psycho Sid. Right. And, uh, you know, this is the time when Gorilla Monsoon became the uh, interim president, replacing the uh, the infamous Jack Tunney. Oh, our good friend <laughs> Jack on the take Tunney. He finally steps down and Gorilla Monsoon steps in the role. And one of the first things he does is he takes a look at the SummerSlam card. And he's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, I got to put something good on this, is what he says. I'm gonna have, uh, so nobody wants to see Shawn Michaels versus Sid, which is true. So he puts on, he puts Razor Ramon in the slot and makes it a ladder match because people want to see that. And the fans are like, yes, we want to see that. <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> it kind of worked. It's a pretty good match. And you know what? I'm going to give Razor some credit, too, because a lot of people want to say that the Shawn Michaels matches with Razor Ramon was Shawn Michaels having a good match with the latter. Uh, Razor did his part there, man. I think he gets yeah. a little undersold. I mean, because Shawn Michaels was Shawn Michaels at that point, kind of crazy. And, you know, and it goes 25 minutes, and you kind of think maybe they went a little long, but I don't think Diesel and King Mabel minded too much. Yeah. I think, like, okay, keep on going, guys. We, <laughs> we're not going to need that much time, so just keep doing your thing. And I felt bad for Sean, though, especially at, at the end, where they finally, he's he's going to grab the belt and fall down to the mat, and uh, the, the belt no-sells him. Yeah, just completely no-sells it. Oh, <laughs> Sean, he was not happy about that either, you could tell. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> Sean, Sean probably wasn't happy about a lot of things during this era, but... Um, no, he was not. That didn't uh, help. He was basically happy, basically happy with the match, though, other, other than that little part there. And uh, they shake hands and whatnot afterwards. And, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think uh, what could have happened and Razor Ramon I know back in the day I was a big Razor fan and he was you know perennial intercontinental champion 
it's a shame he never quite got up to that next level. Uh, he, the only time I remember him being a world title contender was back in 1993 with Bret Hart. I think a couple of years later, you could see him as a uh, world title contender. Yeah. And if we take a look at the main event scene here, I think had uh, the face-heel alignments been a little bit different, I think Razor and Diesel could have had a nice little run together. And then maybe that's how you get Hall and Nash to stick around, have them work and work together. Well, I think he's easily, like, you're putting Razor in that list. If you say the top, I don't know, we could probably spend an hour on this, but, like, if you do the top five guys that never won the WWE, WWF championship, like, he's probably in that category, right? Like, I think you probably yeah. put Jake in there. Yeah, um, Jake. DiBiase, maybe. Yep. Those were, I'm, again, there's probably many Same. more. Yeah, Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect. Um, you can name a bunch of guys from Hogan's era. I mean, Piper, obviously. Piper, Owen Hart, even probably down Owen the line. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. But I think that that's, that's always one that's going to stand out, I think, when you look at Razor and you're thinking. Because you see a match like this and you're just like, my goodness, this guy. Um, he, he did. Like, he, he had it all except for. He had for, the size, too. He had the size. He had know. the look. I mean, hey, it's just yeah, this this guy just he had it, and this was this was fantastic. Of course, as we if you're going to go back and watch anything on the show, this is probably the one thing worth watching. Um, yeah, you know, not no wasting doubt. your time. Feel like feel like you're not wasting your time uh, here because even at the amount of time this went, which I think was probably about 25 minutes, I think, um, more than worth it. Like that, get, this this you should have taken. Give this match like seven more minutes. Make the main event two minutes, and everyone goes home happy. <laughs> um, but it's not uh, how it worked out. Uh, so, well, before that, we also had another interjection by uh, your good friend, Dean Douglas. Oh, of course. Yes. Dean Douglas, not a fan of Razor Ramon and uh Razor Ramon, not a fan of Dean Douglas either. And Dean Douglas catches a beating. And that led to another, that led to a great moment for, uh, Shane Douglas's uh, career. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, that poor bastard. <laughs> Boy, what a, what a run here. Yeah. So this is our, our theme throughout. And, uh, Dean Douglas, for all his grading, uh, he gets, um, you know, he gets knocked out by Razor Ramon for this. But uh, perhaps uh, more people were lining up to be knocked out by Razor Ramon but instead of having to watch the main event, which was Diesel <laughs> defending the WWF title against King Mabel. This one goes about 10 minutes. 9.14 is the official time I see listed here. Steve, I think it's safe to say... When people are making lists like yourself and they want to compile the worst main events in WWF history at any pay-per-view, this yeah. is probably always going to land in yeah. that on there somewhere. I think it'll, it'll differ. Um, but I think for me, this is probably always going to land in that category somewhere just based on, I don't even know where you start, but this was, this was the product of 1995. Like everything we've talked about leading up to this point and the issues WWE was having, and all that, like, this is your prime example right here. Um, this was your main event for your second biggest show of the year. And we get this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the easiest things to point out is the, is that a good old Bayface heel divide. You take a look at the matches uh, just below this one. You see Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, Bret Hart, Undertaker. And not even on the show, you have Lex Luger, and British Bulldog had just turned heel heel prior to they yeah. turned British Bulldog heel the week before SummerSlam. So you couldn't have put him here, right? And yeah. they had the, they showed British Bulldog showing up backstage, and uh, he did nothing after that. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was. They just showed him walking around backstage from the very first and match. Hakushi one two three kid. They're they're talking about uh, British Bulldog. I'm like, is there something about to happen here? But then no, there wasn't nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he walked around backstage and went for and one little clip, and that that was it. There was nothing going on there. Yeah. But uh, the thing is, like I was saying, though, is that all the people that I would think of as legitimate world title contenders for Diesel are good guys. So you're stuck with a, a whole lot of nothing. I mean, Owen and Yoko weren't even on the show, and they were tag team champions. Yeah. And so you're left with the king of the ring. I mean, it's just, ugh. And Mabel, well, it's just, it was a bad time for, bad timing for Diesel on that end. He just said, he didn't have anybody good to work with. I mean, the couple months before, so he's working with Sid. So there's yeah. a, no, you wonder why Nash's uh, title run there gets a flag it did. And I don't think it's all due to him. It's a lot due to his opposition, a lot due to how he was booked. And it, you could even, I mean, Nash was always best as a tweener anyway. And he had that the best run of his career in WWF was like the last few months there where he was kind of that uh, rebellious, uh, badass heel, but still likable to a lot of people. And they could have run with that. And then you haven't taken on everybody. Yeah. So. Anybody besides King Mabel, pretty much, which this match was a disaster. <laughs> Although I did, I did notice Diesel early on in the match with he had, he did, he did a tope. Yes, like he did. what the hell was that? I'd never seen that in my life, but Scalibur that's uh, what happened that. there. And so he was trying, but unfortunately, the match got derailed when uh, Mabel just does a sit down splash on Diesel's back and just breaks the guy in half. And after that, Diesel is basically useless. So I don't know if that led to everything else that happened, which is completely confusing uh mabel t- tosses referee out of the ring so mo runs in and starts helping out mabel then we got lex luger coming down which uh, you know makes sense because luger and the bulldog had been a team and they had previously had dissension and but british bulldogs nowhere to be seen so i don't know i'm a little confused right. and diesel just clotheslines luger over the top rope <laughs> 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 and Luger, he still, he still, he still helps out and fights Mo to the back. I, I was confused. I was confused. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. And uh, Diesel with the big finish hits a clothesline off the second turnbuckle for a very long three count. It was, it was bad. There's just, there's really no polishing that thing. It's just, it was, woof. What yeah. was the star rating? What did Meltzer give us? Oh, a half star. Wow, a half star. I, that's a little high. <laughs> That must have been for that plancha you did. <laughs> it must have been. Because um, I don't think it was for the finish. You talk about just, um, yeah, this this thing, it felt like this thing went off the rails, like, just, like, from the very beginning. And, I mean, this was this was just, um, I don't know, like, the Diesel era was interesting, right? Because that's what everyone always talks about with Diesel was, you know, he's the champion during this era. Uh, here, you know, you look at 95, and we know kind of what's to come because actually – I guess the next pay-per-view, I had to look this up. So the next one is In Your House 3, which that's where Diesel and Sean team up to take on um, Owen and Yoko. and Which you ends know, up being Bulldog and Yoko. Right, which ends up being Bulldog and Yoko. Cause this yeah, in which Owen still takes the pin in. So. <laughs> yes. More uh, great booking from 1995. Uh, now, by the way, on that one is when Brett's uh, John pa- John Pierre Lafitte on, on ah, that one so in your yeah, house that, 3. So the, the jacket thing had happened probably well, by that point. I don't anticipate us going back and reviewing this. So just uh, as as yeah, reference, <laughs> uh, Sid Vicious pinned Henry Godwin, um, also on the show. Uh, Savio Vega and Waylon Mercy. Uh, that's another one. Uh, of course, Dean Douglas, who mentioned earlier, 
gets a win over Razor Ramon. Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff uh, for this era. But uh, I mean, this was just this is a one match show. Like SummerSlam '95 is a one match show, but unfortunately, you look back and you're like, even as good as that was, I think the one thing that always stands out is just 1995, right? Like anytime you associate WWF 1995. You just always think of some of these things that we've talked about. Um, and I think you saw one of the biggest issues was right here on this show in this main event. Like, this was one of the big problems. And like you said, there's no one really lined up for Diesel at this point. Um, you're having to push Mabel straight to the spot. And it just it just did not work, like, on any level. It was just not good. And you know what? Even when I was 11 years old, I could have told you, man, this ain't good. <laughs> Right. You know, four-year-old four Britt Baker could have told you that, right? Four-year-old Britt Baker could have told us, man, this shit ain't good. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't getting over anywhere. You know, not even, not even Pittsburgh, not getting over in Pittsburgh. But yeah, just uh, just weird stuff going on. It was a weird time period. You could tell if some of the booking uh, with stuff happening just before the show that they're making some changes, which is weird. Another weird thing because they would make these random changes at the last minute, but yet they were content to keep the title on Diesel pretty much all year. Yeah. Like some stuff they can just flip a coin on, but some other stuff they just stick with forever and ever. That's, that was it. And uh, that was SummerSlam 1995. Um, so. A 89% thumbs up show, according to Wrestling Observer. Wow. I'm looking at, uh, let's see, I'm going to pull up Cage Match here. Cage Match, it's got a 5.15 rating out of, <laughs> out of 71 votes. <laughs> Man, 1995 must have been a rough year for pay-per-views. That's all I can tell you. Well, I don't anticipate. I don't anticipate us going back at Royal, Royal Rumble season. Eleven wasn't too good. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah, we're we're not going back to Royal Rumble '95. Whenever we get to the Rumble, no, um, that, that one wasn't too good either. I will tell you that. So, uh, yeah, we're probably not going to be revisiting many 1995 pay-per-views from here on. Uh, just just as reference. But we wanted to do this for fun. And uh, next up, Steve, of course, we're going to SummerSlam 2000. That's a little bit better of a show, I think. Some interesting stuff going on. I I originally rewatched that TLC match. So that's pretty fresh in my yeah. mind. So I won't have to watch as much as you will. So there's there's that. Yeah. Uh, interesting main event too, featuring three of the top stars that time period with uh, Rock and Triple H and Kurt Angle. And what I remember being a really good piece of business. And I remember that feud with Triple H and Kurt Angle being a really interesting piece of business that will be interesting to talk about now with uh, 21 years of hindsight. Well, and if we thought this 95 one had some weird stuff on it, uh, just wait till we get to 2000, because in addition to the stuff Steve mentioned, you've got Jerry Lawler versus Taz. Um, <laughs> that's an, another one in 2000. Yes. That's interesting. And then you've also got uh, the Cat and Terry in a stink face match. So, uh, the main event anywhere in the country. What a time in the world of wrestling, both in 95 and 2000. A little bit better for them to be business-wise in 2000. Uh, but yeah. that was <laughs> SummerSlam 95. And you know what? And I'll say... And- and even though I have commented in many places of on how sick I am of ladder matches right now because NXT just ran the concept into the ground for me. I'm just I'm completely done with ladder matches. They're not going to have many now. more now. So, well, yeah, there you <laughs> go. So, but uh, I will say that uh, that match uh, after you know after how many years it still holds up really well. Yeah, and still still to me one of the better ladder matches due to the uh, to the psychology they use and whatnot. I thought was uh, a step ahead of. Uh, a lot of stuff I've seen where it's just guys taking bumps off ladders. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It it definitely holds up. So that is our that is our recommendation. Uh, go back, check that one out here on SummerSlam '95. Uh, definitely worth your time there. Of course, everything else uh, we'll have. You know, again, we said we got SummerSlam 2000 coming up here soon. 
on the podcast and uh, other podcasts, of course, on any other uh, big happenings in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, and uh, for everything else, check out 41mania.com. All of our news, columns, reviews, everything's over there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just search for 411 on Wrestling, any podcast app you use. And uh, as always, we have the link to the GoFundMe uh, for Larry Zonka's family in the show notes. So be sure to continue to share and contribute if you can. Everything else, uh, 411mania.com. So uh, thanks as always for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time here on 411 on Wrestling Podcast.